Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Not a dividend. It's a tale of two fun. Now, your losses are on someone else's balance sheet. Generally speaking, airdrops are kind of pointless anyways. Um, um, I named trading know. firms who were very involved. Um, I like that ETH is the ultimate possible. DeFi protocols are the antidote to this problem. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Chopping Block. Every couple of weeks, the four of us get together and give the industry insider's perspective on the crypto topics of the day. So, quick intros. First, we've got Tom, the DeFi maven and master of memes. Hello. And we've got Robert, the crypto connoisseur and captain of Compound. GM, everybody. Wait, sorry. Zara of Superstate. Sorry. Zara <laughs> uh, of Superstate. And we've got Tarun, the Gigabrain, and Grand Poobah at Gauntlet. Hello. Very creative. And I'm Asib, the head hype man at Dragonfly. So, we are early stage investors in crypto, but I want to caveat that nothing we say here is investment advice, legal advice, or even life advice. Please see choppingblock.xyz for more disclosure. Can I start with a disclaimer, disclosure? I'm not drinking a Red Bull, not because I'm cheating on Red Bull. It just like there happens there. I forgot to bring one and there happened to be Celsius at this podcast, which is great, but not Red Bull. I can't touch anything with the name Celsius. <laughs> I, yeah, I, just, I just figured I had to get start trembling when I see the I had to point it out because I know someone on Twitter will comment on it. Yeah, honestly, I was, I was about to call you out. I'm like, dude, we, we're losing the sponsorship money really fast the moment you start drinking that. Celsius, if you get out of bankruptcy court. <laughs> Celsius stock is actually ripping. Uh, not not the not the crypto Celsius, the, the <laughs> Celsius. Yeah, it's crazy. People, Americans love energy drinks, straight up. Well, Monster yeah. Energy is actually one of the most successful stocks of like yeah. the last like five years or whatever. There you go. And what was the one that IPO'd that water with liquid death? Oh yeah, that's right. That, that's that right. was ridiculous. That went public. That went public. Huh. Yeah. It's. Uh, I mean, I don't really get it. So. Interestingly, I mean, some people who know me know this, but I only drink water. Um, and so a lot of people, especially when I got into crypto and like there's a lot of money being thrown around and stuff, people would try to get me gifts. And a lot of common gifts is like, oh, you get something like a really fancy alcohol. And so people are like, oh, you don't drink. Like, what can I get you? And so people would try to get me like really rare water. So it's like, oh, this water was bottled in like uh, Switzerland and it's got this super fancy. I'm just, I, you know, there is I can't, the, the I can't whole, taste it. I don't the whole know. non-alcoholic spirit industry now, which makes non-alcoholic tequila and non-alcoholic milk. Like, they're meant to taste like a, it's a very weird I don't see the attraction. Yeah, I can't think of anything worse than tequila <laughs> without alcohol. Yeah, yeah. That, sounds, that sounds like actively the wrong way to a go. Lot, a lot of them are just like basically melatonin plus like, because like they're meant as like sleep aids for like people who are like trying to drink less, but they want, they, <laughs> they want to like, they use drinking to sleep. Wait, do people drink tequila as a sleep aid? You know, I, I, I'm just giving you the pitch from these people. I, don't, okay. I, I can't really relate to the got it, users. Got it. Well, somehow I am not in the target market for liquid death, even though I only drink water. But I'm just like, yeah, just get regular bottled water. Anyway. No sparkling? I do, no, I do sparkling water as well. So that's when like, I'm trying to be fun. Uh, I will get sparkling water. Would you do Celsius? <laughs> I on the loose. I know. That's, that's when I'm really getting wild. I'll get yeah. sparkling water, maybe a lemon if I'm really feeling spicy. Um, but yeah, anyway. So on the unhinged scale, you're like a 1.1. The unhinged scale. Okay, hold on. Robert, you got to <laughs> introduce the unhinged scale. I forgot about this. Okay, so backstage on the chopping block, we are uh, marinating over a new metric. And the metric is actually to quantify the personality types of different uh, participants in the crypto ecosystem. And it's actually called the unhinged scale. And it really ranges from completely hinged to completely unhinged. And it's measured in standard deviations. And so one of the things that we were talking about was trying to measure different people. And this is, there's not a formal framework for this yet. I think in the next couple of weeks, we might be releasing something for public comment um, and analysis on like the actual mechanics of this. But to give you some basic color, um, SBF is probably the most unhinged that we've seen in our, in our industry. Uh, he would probably be six standard deviations of unhinged. Um, so that would be pretty much as high as you can go. Where's um, Doe? Doe, probably a five. You put him below. Like I was kind of curious of like the relative. Definitely difference. below. Yeah, definitely, definitely below. below. No, I, I just, I just want. I, I don't have a strong opinion on that. Yeah, most 
people um, in crypto, I think by default, uh, started about a one simply because you have to be, you know, a little bit more out there than the, you know, complete median American just to be in the industry at large. Um, but within that, you know, you have people like myself and Hasib that probably score pretty low. And, you know, what we're trying to do is come up with a framework that the public at large can use, you know, to joke around about, you know, how unhinged. Okay, let's let's do let's do some uh, Rorschach tests. Who's, who's the most hinged? If, if it's from SBF to who? Ooh, in the whole Who's industry. negative six deviation? Negative six. Well, wasn't negative it supposed six. to be Barry Silbert until recently? Uh, he, yeah, definitely not. <laughs> no, it does not appear so, no. He's like a four and a half, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But he was a four and a half dressing as a one. Who's yeah. the most hinged? Maybe, maybe Jeremy. Jeremy Allaire. Jeremy Allaire. Yeah. Everybody yeah, like a single Prezo. It's just like, it's straight business. He's quite hinged. Yeah, he's like a zero, I think. Yeah. Or Katie Hahn. Katie Hahn's very zero hinged. 0.2. But the weird yeah. part about this yeah. definition is like, it's ranking the number of standard deviations. If I'm zero standard deviations, I'm just at the mean. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it should be negative six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I mean, no, I think even working in the industry, you can't be negative six. Like I see, you're saying you, you you have to have some level of unhinged tolerance, so you have to be at least the mean of the population hingedness. I, I think you. I think right, absolutely. I think I think it's theoretically there are negative sixes, but they don't work. In I, yeah, I, I haven't seen them. That's like the Amish. You know, that's yeah, exactly. like negative six. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> They seem a little unhinged I, to me. Yeah, actually, know. no, yeah, fair yeah, enough, yeah, yeah. fair enough. I could listen to this broadcast, Ram so you can Ram talk Ram shit. is pretty based. You know? <laughs> that is true. That is true. Okay, yeah. maybe I'm thinking about this the wrong way. That's more like very socially conservative as opposed to unhinged. Yeah. Um, um, all right, but but you were giving out rankings for the four of us yes. on the hinge scale. Wait, wait, wait. Let's do a few others. Vitalik. Hmm. I mean, that's, I think, okay, there's situations where I'd be like, oh, that's a three, and situations where I'm like, I don't know. There's something wrong. Like he's negative two. I what think, What is negative two about Vitalik? He's too chill sometimes. Uh. Like in the face of like being as close to a celebrity as it gets in the industry, like how down to earth he is and how like. But that's good. Yeah, that sounds unhinged. That's like yes. a good that sounds like an unhinged kind of no, attribute. It, I think it's pretty hinged. I mean, that's that was also what SPF did. And that seemed also yeah, quite unhinged SPF when SBF was, was, so was doing that. obviously fake. Like if that's you, true. If you talked to him for five seconds in person, it was like kind of. No, no, no. But I mean, his his indifference to celebrity seemed quite unhinged. Oh, yeah, but 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 you know, which is what you're talking about with Vitalik it. Vitalik wasn't going Vitalik. to get built. Yeah, Vitalik has a real indifference. I yeah. think SBF had a um, an Fame. illusionary. Yeah, yeah, I think even in the book yeah. they were talking about the Corolla. Thing, the yeah, girl thing like an fake. act, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, it's like, hey, yeah, you, but the, you know. there's a story about Anna Wintour where he's like, who, the, who is this? But I don't really care who this person is. Like, whatever, I'm playing my League of Legends, whatever. I know the Michael Kives thing was all clearly like he invested in that fund just to like meet celebrities. Come on, yeah, Vitalik. Was- yes, but in a, but in a, not because they're celebrities, but because they're useful to his other. Campaign. I would say Vitalik is more unhinged for think reasons like he likes drinking green tea and white red wine. Yeah, that, that, that shit yeah, is unhinged. <laughs> that shit is unhinged to me. That agree, combo is like fucking okay. crazy. <laughs> yeah. So I'd say th- I like the three. I- I'd buy the three. Okay. Who else? Let's do, let's do some other. Uh, who, else, who, else? who else? Anatoly. He's more hinged. Normal. Yeah, I think he's hinged. more hinged. He's, hinged. he's probably he's like very reasonable. I, I, one and a half. One. Yeah. One and a half, two. Yeah. One and a half. Right. Arthur Hayes. Oh, he's up there. I mean, he's in the four camp. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's intense. Brian Armstrong. He's an intense guy. Brian, I'd put lower, maybe two. He loves crazy longevity stuff, so I got you. Got to give him a little bit of un- yeah. But for but but if you normalize Standard for SF, deviation. yeah. If you normalize for SF, I think he's like a one. Yeah, but like I mean, that's still okay. each standard deviation gets harder and harder. That's true. To achieve, yeah. and there's less and less people there. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Who who else are we? Who else is worth uh, kind of CZ? I mean, it's got to be pretty high. I, I feel like a public appearance is like a two, but like reality is like a five. You know what I mean? Like, like he mm. like tries really hard mm. to have like a very hinged appearance, but like I don't know. It's got to be the craziest business in the world to be running. Right? That is true. Yeah, it is true. And he's he's been on the run and more or less itinerant for like the last decade of his life. Yeah, it's he's got to be four and a half. Yeah, that sounds right. Well, we're going to be releasing the actual framework for this in the future. Yes, uh, you make sure you comment and tell us uh, how much. Yes, we'll have, we'll have, a, we'll have a comment period. We're gonna we're gonna obey all the rules on like the SEC. And the real real question you should be asking everyone is like, how the fuck are these four people working in crypto? And instead of suggesting just a prediction market for 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 this thing, they they somehow are like giving people single grades. Shame on us. 
So in the spirit, give us a single grades. I think you uh, reiterated them on, on our dinner the other night. For us? For us, four of us. Um, I think Tarun, what were you, a three? Yeah. Wait, Tarun was a three? Yeah. I mean, he has purple hair. That, that adds some points right away. Yeah, yeah. I, I say that it's surprised that it's that low. Oh. <laughs> wow. Well. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I, I okay, okay. Tarun's a three. All right. Tarun's right. a three. Who else was a three? Um, you, okay, so Hasib might appear to be a one and a half, uh-huh. but nobody has argued more vehemently that they should be ranked higher than Hasib, which <laughs> led me to believe that the number had to be higher than uh, initially perceived. So I think Hasib is also. At three and Tom and I are. You think I'm? You think I'm double? Yeah. Well, it's not really. Double. Wait, hold on. You think not, I'm it, as it, unhinged it, as it, true? It, it, it's, it's not really double, right? Because it's if it's if it's normally distributed, it's ninety-five. That's true. That's true. Yeah, that's true. That's only four point seven percent. Okay, fine. Sorry, fine. just to be. All right, I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. Very unhinged. Uh, yeah, the fact notes. that you live in Seattle uh, okay. stretches the number. Like. Okay. okay. Stretches. Yeah. Seattle is like the most normcore place in the yeah, world. Yeah, it is kind of, yeah, exactly. It's like I think so normcore. In fact, I put, think it pulls you down. But but the normcore is like, uh, it's specifically it's affected, right? It's like you're not actual normal. You're like, you know, pretending to be normal, which is the choice of living in Seattle. So I think that actually, you know, to, to Robert's credit, kind of kind of supports the idea. I just, I don't know. I, I, I feel like Seattle is like a place people go to retire. Yeah, right, which is why either. if you're there, the young age of his seat, it's a little bit <laughs> questionable. Well, to be clear, I'm only there about half the year, so I'm I'm in not in not Seattle for more than I'm in Seattle. But I would I would argue that I'm a two. I think I think I, I there's no way that I'm at the same as where is Caroline Ellison? Uh, oh, it's really high. New York. No, no. I'm oh, oh, oh sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Where's I mean, based on her blog posts yeah, the blog and posts. Yeah. some of the things that yeah. she wrote publicly. But is she a five or four? Four, four and a half, four. Four and a half. I mean, the whole Chinese harem stuff was. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. See, the thing is, like, I think mentally she might be like a five, whereas like in terms of her actual behavior, she's like a two. You know what I mean? I don't know. Perfect. Perpetrating a fraud to the tune well, but of like perpetrating dollars. a fraud out of compliance toward your like a weird abusive boyfriend. I don't know. Like it's kind of you know four and a half. Kind I of. I mean, mid. it's it's up there. That's, okay. It takes quite the personality to pull that off. All right. All right. Fine. I'll take that. So what about Tom? Two. Yeah. Two. Yeah. Mind. Okay. Okay. He's wearing you, you he's wearing an Arcteric shirt. So. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Does, that, does that make me hinged? That's like SF norm course. Yeah, yeah. That's quite hinged. That's quite hinged. Quite hinged closing choices. Okay, well, I'm, I'm hoping that this uh, scale takes off, even though I don't totally understand it. But I'm sure everyone listening perfectly yeah. understood. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to one day. Do you guys remember like DGen score? Yeah. Yes. yeah. I hope somebody like on crypto Twitter takes this idea and actually like productizes it in some way. It comes up with some way of like prediction market. So I actually yes. met yeah. the Dex Blue team <laughs> yeah, up in uh, DuneCon, um, and and the team was there, and it was also kind of one of those things where DGen score was supposed to be like a marketing tool for Dex Blue, which was like this Dex aggregator, but then it like took on this life of its own, like way beyond Dex Blue, which I don't know is if it's still it's active like or something. But yeah, I mean you're right. Like that was actually the product, not the Dex aggregator. So yeah, that was that was crazy. That was like a whole thing, and then yeah, yeah. You should be able to look at a wallet and figure out how unhinged they are. That seems hard. Yeah, it's like DGen score. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Permissionless okay. universes are supposed to make it hard to do that, right? <laughs> Turns out, yeah, people put a lot of information on chain as well as online that lets you suss out all that stuff. That's true. Well, you could have like a chat GPT model, a GPT model to actually determine this based on publicly available information. That would actually be a really interesting. Actually, I want to know what, what chat GPT thinks about this metric. <laughs> All right, well, we can go home and ask. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's, let's get on to crypto news, besides obviously this uh, release of this new metric. Um, so it has, hasn't been a super busy news week, but uh, one of the news of the week is that there's been a string of layoffs. Obviously, this has been a theme of the last year, but it seems like there are a few stragglers in this layoff season. Um, so OpenSea, the largest, uh, or you know, at least at one time, the largest uh, NFT exchange, uh, right now, they just announced that they are laying off about 50% of their workforce. Credo, which is like a decentralized custody product, they also laid off 50%. Ava Labs, the company behind Avalanche, laid off about 12%. It is layoff season again. I don't know if anybody's seeing any dynamics that seem different. Is this like a new wave of layoffs? Is this tightening further? Or is this just kind of delayed response to what otherwise has been a tightening of the belt? 
I think it's delayed. I mean, if you think about it, you know, and I, I don't know the innards of a company like OpenSea or Credo or Ava Labs, but you know, it seems like you could have made this decision a year ago when you knew that the market was going to be incredibly challenging for the 12 months we just experienced. You know, if you're someone like an OpenSea, you know, you probably knew a year ago that volumes were down. We were entering, you know, choppy waters. Almost everybody had blown up. I think that would have been the time to downsize. I feel like if you're doing it now, you know, it's probably just waiting to see, you know, if there was going to be a, you know, earlier rapid turnaround. And I think any of those organizations could have made the call. I mean, I remember a year ago, I was like expecting most companies to start making major layoffs then, and some did. Oh, and, yeah. Who actually, who would you put Coinbase, I guess, right? Yeah. Like camp. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, a lot of, even non-crypto tech companies obviously got hit with with sort of um, you know poor macro outlook, stock prices declining. But then weirdly, like those actually whipsawed and they started like hiring again within the same year. Like Meta was hiring again, Google was hiring again. But I think you know for crypto companies, it's it is cyclical. But I think a lot of companies frankly just struggle with like PMF and and revenue. And it's like you, you can sort of hire a bunch of people and sort of assume you hey be able to, be able to next, raise your next round or figure your 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 business model. And when that doesn't really happen, like you have this enormous bloat and hiring is like a, it's like a one-way ratchet too. Like ideally, you know, you think of your company like a machine and it's like, okay, we, you know, turn up the input when, you know, times are good and we turn it down when, when times are bad, but like you, people don't want to turn it down, right? It's like a really painful process. So inherently there's like some inefficiencies in the market and that kind of gets, gets shown now. Yeah, this, the current batch of layoffs sort of feels, yeah, I agree that it's kind of late, but there's also this sort of weird thing of like, there's so much press around these layoffs. Like, I feel like OpenSea, I kind of almost feel bad for them because like, there's just so many, like all these stories of crazy bull market parties they had, I guess like disgruntled employees must be leaking them, but there's just like 20 stories I've seen in the last two days. And I kind of feel like they don't they're getting a little too much shit. I don't I don't feel like they kind of deserve as much as they're getting, but they're really getting thrown under a bus. And I I think the excesses of 2021 oftentimes were like, you know, because it's such an industry of like feast or famine, and in like the feast in the famine times, you know, people are like extremely careful when they're especially if they're just starting about hiring. And then like as soon as it feels like super cycle, not to use a, a banned word people suddenly are like, oh my God, we just can't stop growing. So we're going to just, you know, go gangbuster. And and I think like it's different than the traditional, you know, stereotypical tech company where you have this like, you know, social media type of company where you just have this like straight up growth curve and like you you can keep hiring into it. Like the fact that it's more financy and like has these like cyclical cycles means that you kind of have to be ready to to do things like this. Yeah, to Tom's point, it's like it is kind of very painful to do. And I think, you know, I mean, I as a founder definitely understand. Like it's like it's not the thing that you're ready to do, especially it's like a very hard thing to message. I definitely would say that I think people are very harsh on these companies for being late and I'm not totally sure it's fully deserved. I, I agree they're probably... Yeah, there's a sense in which like, when a company does layoffs, in a way, like they have already done the work to stem the bleeding, right? In a way, that's kind of like the problem was before they did the layoffs, where they were burning money, they were running, like things were totally unsustainable, and they were just delusional about the state of their industry, right? Like if you were OpenSea and you didn't do layoffs, like you said, a year ago when volumes plummeted through the floor, fees were being cut down, there was basically like a price war between Blur and OpenSea, and OpenSea just kind of like pretended it wasn't happening. Like, that was when it was a problem. And after you normalize, say, okay, we're in a new world now, and we don't have crazy high margins. I mean, that was the craziest thing, which is that OpenSea was getting, what was it, uh, seven and a half? Uh, two and a half percent. Two, sorry, two and a half. They were getting two and a half percent margin on selling JPEGs. On crazy yeah. numbers. Right? Yeah, on insane numbers selling JPEGs, and they had no competition. And they're not that company anymore. Well, well so a, a discussion I'd seen on the internet a lot was like, would OpenSea have stemmed the tide if they launched the token right after, just like Uniswap launched their token in response to SushiSwap? I I'm kind of curious what you, you think. Cool. Do you think they could well, have? I, I think the, the more important thing is like, what's the actual market size, right? And NFTs as a market collapsed for the most part. 
you know, and this is why I actually have a lot of sympathy for OpenSea and pretty much any company in this space going through this is because the market size itself can change underneath your feet incredibly quickly, right? If I'm selling SaaS software, the market for it's not going to like double or like have in a year. Not according to all the open AI killed my startup memes. <laughs> True. That's a fair counterpoint. <laughs> but if I'm an open C, the market for NFTs literally can 20x and then drop by 95% in a year. Mm-hmm. On that means it's both flat. directions. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is. Yes, true, true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> can go up 20x and then drop 95%, right? And that's roughly what's happened. And like, that's a really like max difficulty environment for any company to operate, period. Like, mm-hmm. You know, crypto in that sense is so much harder mode than most other industries. And so I, I have a lot of sympathy with them. I mean, like, you throw this at your standard San Francisco startup, and it'd be, like, gut-wrenching. Yeah. You know, they just struggle to get product market fit in the first place, generally. Right. And once they have it, they keep growing. So it's, it's interesting. Um, you asked the question about, like, okay, what would happen if OpenSea launched their token? I more or less agree. I don't think it would have mattered. It might have helped do you, in the short do you, term. Well, do you think, but, like, the competitive equilibrium we see now where it's, like, blur is, like, 60-plus mm. percent market share? Do you think that would be, yeah, how, where do you, where would you? Possibly, but, I mean, at the end of the day, like, a, a token is just a subsidy, right? Like, you can, like, OpenSea had raised the amount of capital that if they wanted to pay out subsidies, they could. Now, instead, they ended up paying subsidies to their employees, I guess, and hiring a bunch of people who clearly were not needed to launch the current product, which is struggling, right? I'm also I'm like, what were all these people doing that OpenSea, like, I feel like OpenSea has been remarkably uninnovative. Yeah. I mean, I guess they've launched well, they, new they, product they, line. No, OpenSea to to Devin's credit, his tweets announcing the layoff said, everyone is telling us we're a follower, so we're not going to be a follower. Yeah, yeah, and, 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 and they acknowledge it, they acknowledge it, which I respect, right? Yeah, I respect the layoffs, I 100% respect the layoffs, and I my heart goes out to the people who were affected by the layoffs, because that fucking sucks, um, but, it was right for the company to do the layoffs is the point that I'm making. Now, one question that I've heard a lot, uh, kind of looking back on the NFT market over the last year, because I think you raise an interesting perspective. I've heard from some people that they think the reason why, or a, a major contributor to the decline of the NFT market was Blur. I don't know if you guys have heard this argument before. I yeah. disagree. Yeah, I've heard this. Personally. Okay, okay. So I, I want to give the devil's advocate because it's my understanding of why people say this, because I also disagree. I don't think it makes sense, but this is what people have claimed, is that so Blur, so Blur is an NFT aggregator, but also has their own order book, so you can trade NFTs like on OpenSea directly on Blur. See a prior chopping block. Also, full disclosure, we're investors in Blur. We are investors in Blur. Um, so Blur, the way that it, one of the ways in which it initially got a lot of traction was by appealing to professional traders and making it seem more like you're trading tokens rather than trading NFTs. Uh, so kind of commoditizing NFTs a little bit more and encouraging people to sort of farm NFTs, provide more liquidity on NFTs, and increase the liquidity of NFTs in general, especially for floor, uh, floor uh, 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 NFTs. And the argument goes that before the market was very illiquid and that made the, argu- that made the market feel more like collecting uh, and when Blur increased the liquidity of these NFTs, it made them more like shit coins, which made them more volatile, which made them subject to a bigger market cycle, which ultimately devalued NFTs on the whole by making them more like financial assets instead of like collectibles. That's the argument that people make for why this caused people to want to dump and it made NFTs less valuable on the whole. That's the story. Why do you guys disagree with that story? So, I mean, I, I think maybe going back to the token question, um, I, I think there's like actually a good sort of counterfactual here with uh, Gem, which was one of the original NFT aggregators, which we're also investors in, which was acquired by OpenSea. And like Gem was a pure aggregator, right? So it didn't actually you know, have its own order book, but it was already eating market share from OpenSea by the time it got acquired. So I think, you know, at face, you know, I think that sort of speaks to the idea that just building a superior product in this market you can win market share. It's not pure sort of uh, uh, network effects, which is, I think, what you know, most marketplaces are, are based on. Or there, there's room for disruption in the market. I think for Blur, like, I, I agree. I think there's, that's already how I think how m- most people were treating yeah, NFTs, right? Certainly there were people who were going to Sotheby's to buy a rare one-of-one art blocks. But for most people, they just wanted to trade them back and forth, right? That's the whole concept of floor 
like was invented in NFTs. There aren't floor Picassos. Like that's not an idea. Um, <laughs> well, I, think I mean, there are. Picasso. Well, there are, yeah. but that was not. There was not a. a are there point. floor Picassos? No, no, no. As Any Picasso, like the etchings, the etchings are as like in the, the function minimum over set of prices exists. Yes, yes, yes. I agree, but like that was not. You know, if you go to like an art gallery, your website, they're not like, oh, here's the floor to get like a twang. <laughs> yeah, and they're not like, seven thousand of them. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So exactly. Like, yeah, exactly. Um, Although prints might actually fit into that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, but you know, you know. Anyway. I think NFT, this is, it's almost sort of like you're, you're meeting reality where this already existed in the minds of NFT traders, but no one yeah. wanted to come out explicitly and say it. And so here is just sort of pure, full accelerationist, like NFT marketplace, come and get it. And like, you know, this is, this is kind of what you get as a result, but it, it was already effectively, I think, happening. Just, this is just sort of meeting reality. Well, the thing that didn't really exist prior to Blur was there was no bid side of the order book. So all the markets existed in basically an offer only one-sided marketplace where it was like, okay, I'm going to list for sale different NFTs at different prices. And you only saw one side of the market, which was the offer side. And Blur, using their token, incentivized liquidity on the bid side for floors, but they built the bid side of the order book. So there was like, you know, you can see for any project, you know, well, here's the bid for a floor and what the order, the amount of demand is. And in my mind, it created for the first time the ability for people to essentially liquidate at the floor easily, as opposed to listing at the floor and hoping that somebody would like lift the offer. They were able to actually sell into a bid. And I take that as something new. And when you hear people like talking about like, oh, it allowed anyone to sell their NFTs, which is why NFT prices fell, like there is an amount of truth to that in that they functionally gave people the ability to offload a collection. You had significant holders of different collections. The first one, yes, <laughs> dump 100 at once, which was never possible before. You'd have to wait for there to be enough demand for people to buy 100. And this enabled someone for the first time to sell 100. And it did change the dynamic, I think, functionally. But, you know, I don't think it would have had that big of an effect on prices. I think, you know, at the end of the day, creating more liquidity for something is only good for it. And it's not like, you know, the value of Bored Apes dropped in half because you could sell them more easily. The ability to sell something more easily also makes it more appealing to buy in the first place, knowing that you Yeah, that seems right easily. to me. Is that like liquidity makes something more valuable than more less valuable. valuable? Yeah, and so like they strictly increase liquidity, like undeniably increase liquidity for NFTs. It is so much easier to buy and sell NFTs because of Blur than it was before. And maybe the first order effect of that is like a short-term like, wow, you can sell them and you never could do that. Therefore, price go down. But- by fundamentally improving the liquidity for these assets, I think it makes them on an equilibrium basis more valuable. And so I think their story just got caught at the wrong time of, you know, they got popular as pretty much the whole market for everything was collapsing. Right. Well, I, I will say one thing, at least like team wise, if you like compare the two teams, like OpenSea was like on the development side, like had like literally the best, a lot of the best application-level smart contract engineers, like people who wrote a ton of ERCs, but they were, like, not traders at all. Like, if you ask them to, like, even make this argument about the offer and bid, like, all of them would just be, like, too much finance talk, go away. Uh, and so, Other than Nathan Chastain, I heard he was... Well, yes, yes. Well, well it, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. But, I mean, I basically just think, like, the problem with the NFT market was that it initially started off, like, vibes only, right? It was, like, oh, like hey, everything's going to go up forever. So like, we don't need to think about market structure. Fuck that. Like, it's why do you need to offer one, one side of the market? Like, fuck the floor people, right? Like, the entire thing is going to go up. And there's, OpenSea kind of like hung their hat on that for a really long time. And there were all these attempts at like disintermediating that. And then it just turned out that the right combination of token incentives and lending sort of worked in that favor, in the favor of that. And I just feel like they were unwilling to accept the financialization of NFTs because they were so bought into the creator royalty thing, which is like obviously illusory and fake, as we all know. Right, right. Yeah, it, 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 it seems very true that like the, the character of the NFT market definitely changed. It became a lot more about floors. And the other thing too is that the, the sense that everyone had that the prices were going up and therefore their net worth was going up was also a little bit illusory. Right, like in a in an extremely illiquid market, you are not allowed to just mark your entire portfolio. I mean, this is the whole argument that we made about SBF and the bullshit accounting he was doing. Super illiquid market, you can't just mark your entire net worth 
to what the last uh, trade was cleared at, you have to take a discount based on the cost of liquidating, right? And so if you have a big pile of floor punks or floor apes or whatever, and you're like, wow, I'm a, I'm a 40 millionaire now. Um, it's like, well, but you can't actually sell that without something like Blur. So the reality is that you may have had the illusion that you were richer at a certain time when you couldn't actually liquidate things in a timely manner. Like the reality of your net worth became real when Blur created that, that, um, that liquidity for you. Uh, now, I, I agree with you, though, that there's the confounder of time, which is that as time went on, interest rates went up, crypto went down, all this stuff happened around the same time. And so it's hard to really, we can't really run it back and say, how would that crazy NFT bull market have played out differently? But we can look at all the attempts at like doing what Blur did along the way, right? The gems, the pseudo swaps, and like they all missed some facet of the microstructure, but they were all like taking a hammer and trying to like chisel at it. And so there is a sense in which you can see that OpenSea never really, they're, they're, they didn't really try to make defenses against yeah. other than yeah. maybe, maybe acquiring it, right? And that, that was sort of, to me, the, the thing. That I mean, they did in the very literal sense, they just weren't effective defenses, right? Well, I mean, they were trying to like, like block lists and all this yeah, sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like or acquiring supply-side friendly than demand-side friendly. And yes. In, in a up market, you want to be supply-side friendly, right? Right. Because you need supply to get like inventory to to make the totally. marketplace work. But then down market, it's a complete demand-driven thing. And like, if you don't understand that, you're immediately going to just get completely. So, so this is, I mean, I remember getting this argument with Laura, is that I've always believed that the demand side was more important than the supply side in NFTs. And that like- Except during 2021. I, like, I think even then, it's like when, when the celebrities were showing up to sell like random dog shit NFTs to people, it was because of the demand side. Like people, like the creators- could make so little money anywhere else relative to the NFT world, they were going to show up and say, like, what do you want me to make? I, I, will, I, will, I will poop on the piece of paper and put it up if that's what you will pay, you know, like $5,000 Not on a piece of for. paper, on a pointer. Uh, from <laughs> that's right. Yeah. On a blockchain. Exactly, so exactly. I, I, I guess, like, there, there is some, some truth to that, but a lot of the demand was driven also by, A, speculation, and B, this narrative of, like, this is the future of art whatever. Totally. Like, and there's and, always some reflexivity between the two. And, it's never just and, one and, or the other. And I just like, I would love to, to, in hindsight, look at the portfolios of all the artists who like successfully sold then to find out if they're degen gamblers or they're just like sitting in stable coins. So, like, I would love to see like the, the relative portfolios of the NFT buyers versus the artists. Mm over time. Like that would be like the most amazing <laughs> chart to ever. Look, as long as the, the artist didn't recycle it back into crypto, I would guess. I kind of really think well. a lot of them, uh, more than you think. I'm did. sure I, a lot I, of them. I know some of them that really, I feel like they like, once they got ETH, they were like, ooh, I know how to, I can gamble with this now. <laughs> and it was like a change their psychology, their uh, psychology changed from yeah, like humble yeah. artists to like, I'm a really great investor. And I saw that yeah. trope at least three or four times. Not good, not good. Well, okay, speaking of NFTs, there was another interesting story from the NFT world, which is there's a, uh, an event called ApeFest in Hong Kong, which is a, an event you can go to if you'd like to uh, congregate with other holders of the Board Ape Yacht Club uh, Yuga Labs universe. And uh, apparently there was like some, there was some club, they were out clubbing, some rave, I don't know, what something. And uh, apparently they had some UV lights that they were shining somehow in the overall presentation of this Light show. This is how you know Hasib has never gone to a nightclub. He talks I, about the overall presentation. Of I don't know. I, I didn't actually see any pictures of what it looked like. All I know is there were UV lights and a photokeratopsis or something like that. Some kind of eye damage that apparently happened to a significant number of people who attended this, you know, like a small percentage of people who were at this uh, club, I guess, event. Let's call it an event. Is that work? <laughs> I, yeah, I think I'm a 1.5 after that explanation of a nightclub. Yeah, you're going down. Yeah, exactly. I'm, 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 like I'm getting close to a one now. Yeah, we'll um, see. We'll see. Anyway, all right. Um, that, I think that's the story. <laughs> I uh, so so I will say I uh, I have helped pr produce events that had you know projection mapping and other types of light shows, oh. and I worked in I kind of did some you know played music at some of those things, and all I got to say is. How the fuck do you have disinfecting UV lights anywhere near this place? Like literally no venue. I've been to the most illegal ratchet venues in the US and none of them have anything close to this. How is this fancy Hong Kong venue for like people who have to spend 100K to get in effectively or whatever the price of a board ape is now? 
Uh, how the fuck does that place have this and like no checks for that? I'm telling you, like really shit venues never have anything like this. This is like, this has got to be one of the most ridiculous things. Like I almost feel like I hate to sound like Reddit conspiratorialist, but I kind of feel like someone did this. <laughs> like, you think someone sabotaged? I think it's sabotaged. Board ape meetup. Yeah. Do you think it's World of Women? Who could I, have been? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You think it was the crypto box? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Machi, please don't come after me. All right, uh, all right. But like, I, uh, I, I just mean like, clearly, it's someone like like that. How the fuck does that happen? That's like I've never heard of anything like that happen in nightlife, and I've been to a lot of fucking venues. Well, I assume the lights weren't done by the venue itself. I Usually, they, were, they are. Yeah, I don't know. I saw one tweet that could be totally misinformation but it was like somebody said oh i found a photo of where the lights were being used incorrectly and it they were being used to create a black light effect on some like board ape art oh mm. oh i see so specifically and, for uh, some nft presentation yes, thing. specifically for mm. you know these like cardboard cutouts of like, wow the social darwinism of board <laughs> ape holders really is even more true darwinism is a very good very very appropriate so, analogy yeah. for this as well so it's possible it was just like part of like an art like exhibit mm. yeah or a package but i'm saying like like okay so if you do projection mapping so projection mapping is like i have a 3d space i map the space and i'm projecting lights on it and i have i'm attaching it to the sound source so that the light's moving you know the projection is moving with the sound you bring your own stuff there, but like almost all the venues check like what lights you have and what you're like. Even the really dog shit illegal venues will be like you can't use certain types of lights. So I'm like shocked that no one said anything. Hmm. I don't even really understand like the idea of Ape Fest. Like if you go to Breakpoint, great, you love the Solana vision, the religion, you're into it. If you go to you know Def Connect, Def Con, great, you're like in the Ethereum. Like what what do the apes stand for? Like what do you like, like, what is what you is the purpose for, of the Ape you Fest? You stood for having made money in 2021 by accident. You could go to a bunch of crypto conferences and and do that. Like, and I'm guessing actually a lot of ape holders have lost money as well. That, like, I don't. That is true. Yeah, you go to Ape, ape Fest and it's like what, like, you know, the community of morons. Like, I don't know what else. Like, other than that, there's like nothing. The weird thing too is I, I saw I saw some photos of people there and it's all men, and I'm like, why? Why, why would you? It, it is the the moronic incel club that they should change from board ape yacht club to that. <laughs> All right. Well, um, we were just talking about uh, Solana. Interestingly, so Solana has been ripping. Uh, it's up something like three x this year. It's up to forty five. I think I saw as of today. Uh, it's been outperforming pretty much almost everything else in the top one hundred. It's been very impressive. The run up. A lot of people were afraid during the FTX liquidation that. Uh, the FTX estate was going to be selling a bunch of Solana, and that was originally perceived to be bearish, but apparently it's selling less than people expected, uh, and a lot of their Solana is locked up for much longer than was understood. Uh, so Solana has just gone nuts. It's it's uh, up more than 2x in the span of about a month. So uh, there was, of course, just Breakpoint, which is the big Solana gathering. I think it was in Lisbon. Uh, no, Amsterdam. Oh, Amsterdam, sorry. Uh, it was in Amsterdam. Uh, you were there. Tell us about your observations from, uh, from uh, Amsterdam. What was the vibe? Yeah, I mean, you know, I uh, sort of am, you know, you, I, I know how Tom is just like, oh, if you go to X conference, you're like part of the X tribe. And what? I don't. Ruins a salon. I'm prime. just. A, yeah, I, so no, 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 no. I, I, I have no maxiism. I just kind of, I think every ecosystem has its pros and cons. And there's like obviously certain things that some of them do better than others. Uh, what are but, the pros of the Cardano ecosystem? They wrote the first paper that proved why Bitcoin has sa achieved safety and liveness in 2015. Good job, Cardano community. Uh, yes, well unfortunately, done. everything else uh, maybe not so good. But okay, I think the interesting thing about Solana is for the first time ever since 2018 or 2019, did I meet like developers who were like, I never you sent a transaction or wrote code for the legacy platforms. Where in 2018, it was like all the ETH developers, like the Hayden from Uniswaps of the world, we're like, I've never sent a Bitcoin transaction, but like, of course I've sent ETH transactions. And at the Solana conference, unlike, say, like some of the other L1s, I met people who were like, I've never sent an ETH transaction, I've never sent a Bitcoin transaction, but I, like, I, I've used Solana and I write Solana. And I was like shocked at how many of those. And what do they do on Solana? So weirdly, it's like really crappy NFTs, like really crappy, like cheap, but crappy NFTs. 
it's a lot of like, the, so the thing is Solana doesn't have many tokens. So actually it had a ton of tokens in 2021, 2022. Those were all the Sam coins uh, as described in the trial, all worthless and zero. And so then Solana kind of had this like, clearly there was no other token other than Sol real, realistically, like there are a few of them. But Solana's staking yield was actually quite high. They had they still have relatively high inflation, uh, but they didn't have and they had this kind of weird competitive uh, staking market. But recently, sort of Gito has sort of which disclaimer disclosure we're investors in it, uh, has sort of like started to really kind of take over the market there. So I think there's much more accessible Solana yield, uh, which has helped. Uh, make the ecosystem a, a bit more, have a little more like DeFi related stuff working out. And what was interesting is a lot of the projects that I would call like the cockroaches, they like maybe raised in 2021, they didn't pivot to AI, they didn't die due to FTX taking all their funds, uh, which non trivially hard. Remar- yeah, like there's a lot of things you could have fucked up very easily. And like being in the bubble, you would, you, very high chance of dying. But the projects that survived, uh, you know, like the margin drift, um, Gito, et cetera, they all are pith, are all getting ready, so it seemed, and some of them had announcements of tokens to start having tokens. So I think there's also this thing where people are getting ready for the retro airdrops of Solana, and I think whoever survived is sort of like the cockroach that survived the nuclear explosion, and they seem to be like kind of doing well. So... There's that. The second thing is like I've never in, in Ethereum conferences and hackathons. Um, you oftentimes meet really awesome developers, but like you don't meet that many who are like, I want to work on payments. Which you know it sounds like the most boring application, right? You maybe used to in 2019, but now if you go, it's like everyone wants to do zk identity. They want to do some like kind of complicated type of thing. But in Solana, there's a lot of like we want to do like. USDC payments in like a weird wallet for Zimbabwe. Like, like, like it's very, it's actually like, it reminds me of Ethereum hackathons in 2019, whereas Ethereum hackathons now are way more focused on higher end technology ideas. And so I think there's kind of this like baseline of people who just are, are completely coming new to crypto, who were only brought into crypto by 2021. Mm. And Solana happened to be the place they went. And they just, they have no, I guess they don't, they're not like, they don't talk to other people who are in other parts of crypto. And so they're just in the, that ecosystem. So it's like the only L1 that I feel like has this completely organic, unique ecosystem. Cause like the EVM L1, so the ones that are compatible with Ethereum, they have a lot more like founders who just like moved around, right? It's like Trader Joe moved from Avalanche to Arbitrum and then they had more success mm-hmm. in Arbitrum. Mm-hmm. So then like the EVM people didn't really have much, there's no stickiness other than ETH mainnet because they all deployed eventually to ETH mainnet. But in Solana, like... The, there's nowhere else to go. There's nowhere else to go. But like, if you look at other ecosystems, you know, I, and, and I, ha- I, haven't, I didn't go to the NIR conference, which is right now. Uh, otherwise, I would have been able to give a comparison. But it, it doesn't feel... There is like this real notion of people go in and this is their first experience. And it must have been... It reminds me so much of 2018 Ethereum where people are like, I bought some shitcoin in 2017 and then I like decided to work on a project like the Solana wealth effect of like I bought Sol and I like made a bunch of money and now I'm just going to like work on Solana projects. It, the wealth effect is real there. And so how, how I mean, that's a, a little bit curious to me too, because it, it must be just sort of time weighted that most people, even in Solana have lost money, right? Because like it, it moved so rapidly and it, it had such a dramatic uh, ascent both in terms of price and in terms of notoriety when it shot all the way to 200 and then gradually was kind of taking its way down. And that was like when Sam was at the top of his empire and he was really pushing the Solana narrative. It must be that most people have actually not made money on net, right? We're in a, we're in a bear, I mean, we're more or less in a bear. Yeah, market. but my point is like, I'm looking at the conditional distribution of the ones who did. Oh, fair enough. And the, the, those are the <laughs> ones who are, that my point but is so that's a how, large how, enough subset. Yeah, yeah. So I, I get it for NFTs. I get it for a lot of other things. But for developers, it seems surprising to me that like where I made money is coupled with where I am developed. Because a lot of people buy one, a lot of one, tokens. One way of thinking about this, which is slightly different, which is where I made money means I can quit my job, my normal dev job, mm. for like one year, two years, three years. And so I've bought myself like a few years of like not 
doing things. And that's and that that thing that bought me that I spend time reading a lot of the docs, I spend time meeting people at these conferences, and then I start writing code for it. And I, mm. I, I think there is this effect that Solana seems to be the only ecosystem I, I can, for sure, know. Like I said, I, I didn't go to Nier's conference, so I don't don't know right now. But Solana definitely has this. There is really clearly this this like whoever survived is like doing well, like they're still working on stuff. It's like, right. do, doesn't feel like zombie land, which is like a very unique thing to them as far as I can tell. Whereas like, you know, I think in, in other L1 ecosystems, it's, it's, it's it usually what happens is like when things crash, it becomes extremely adversarial and dog eat dog and everyone's trying to undercut each other and then like they kind of kill their ecosystem, right? Mm. I think you've seen this in, in, in a bunch of other places. I, I won't name them so their armies don't go after me. But You've seen that kind of like the bear market leads to like all the projects fighting with each other and then there's a zero something and like the ecosystem. And Solana somehow doesn't have that zero sum mindset as much. It's like very. Well, I think all that zero sum mindset was encapsulated into SPF. Yes. And he was defenestrated all And at once. everyone who survived is like, oh, we survived despite that. And so they're right. way less, mm. they don't have. It, it is definitely the most incredible story in, short, in, in the history of L1s is Solana's reversal from being basically this more or less exchange chain of FTX and being completely kind of under their thumb and, and subject to their distribution, surviving the biggest fraud basically in the last decade, being at the center of their blockchain and still nevertheless I mean, it was their DAO hack victorious, moment, right? And if you yeah. survive it, if you survive, you, I feel like almost like religious texts, a chain so needs true. to have like this yeah. one like Gilgamesh flood moment. Totally, and, totally. And like, like the dark that, night of the that's soul. That's the thing that, you that keeps through. you, yeah. And, and yeah. everyone who survives that—that's like the the branding of like you made it into the 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 real league of of the real league. I, I don't know the what else to L1 call league. the real L one league. Like, but like, <laughs> how I, many how many L ones are real? Four. I don't I don't know. I don't. That's a good question. It's hard to say. Like, I definitely think Solana makes it to the, that. It's like it really. They really somehow the 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 stripes from that extinction level nuclear extinction level event mm -hmm. and the way people are are so optimistic and are not zero sum about like just like oh there's like this much of a, there's this much tam in the ecosystem like i'm going to try to kill my competitor over it is very surprising like like it 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 really is like eth 2018 2019 and and i think like you can you can get mad at them for like not being able to run a full node, whatever. Maybe they don't have light clients yet, but they're trying. Whatever. Uh, the technical, like all the people fighting on Twitter about the shit, I'm always like, yeah, but like arguably Ethereum wasn't as easy to run in 2018 either, right? Like there's so much in stuff that went into it to, to make it what it is. And obviously it is a really amazing place because it's survived. It has all these assets, has all this liquidity. But I do feel like you have to give Solana a lot of respect. Like you have to really treat it like uh, it's made, it's earned its stripes. Mm -hmm. And I, I think like that's something that people sort of miss in the L1 war, right? They're, they, and, and yeah, you know, like I, like I said, their DeFi, you know, a lot, another argument you see a lot on Twitter is their DeFi TVL is so small and like how could they really kind of be a thing? And it's like, yeah, they have no fucking tokens. The only tokens are really soul. Like everything is soul, right? And so, but they've somehow still been able to like not go to zero despite that. And you have to give that, I, I don't know. I, I, I think that this extinction event thing is almost like a necessary thing. It, it, it's right. like, why do people like who follow religions like, like, like religion is like the narrative always has some like hardship hero's journey type thing, right? And yeah. like yeah. somehow this is also true for these chains. Um, what's, your, what's your take? Yeah, I mean, I agree with sort of the story of, of being forged in a crucible and sort of coming out the other side. Like that is, it's true for like a lot of companies as well. And I think it kind of goes back to what I was saying around like, if you're part of the Solana tribe, you, you follow the Solana God. It doesn't matter if you can't run a full node. Like it's not part of our religion. That's not part of our code of ethics. Like that's somebody else. I think going back to what you were saying though, around like, like what's happening on chain, I'm still like a little bit confused by. Um, because like when I look, it's like, okay, I mean, frankly, you know, even a lot of the top project activity, like they do have tokens, right? Like, like Marinade, Drift, sure. Sol, like Orca, Solend. And it's like, okay, so people are doing, like Gito's obviously been, you know, uh, ripping in terms of TVL. It makes sense. Like it's a very interesting play on sort of the whole MEV space, the, the LST space. But like, 
that, that's it's it's sort of like um, you know building a great operating system, but there's no applications, and it's like okay, like what, what what else what else are people doing? Like what what else is happening? Like I think that that's kind of the thing that that's missing for me. I think the weird thing to me actually about the 2021 like bull market stupidity Solana was like people were raising for like like some of these public raises raised like eighty to hundred million dollars for where they sold you in game items before the game was made oh, yeah. as like their raise. And like that stuff is obviously dog shit, <laughs> dog shit scam, whatever. But like the, the, this AAA game on Solana thing was like just kind of obviously a dumb fucking thing. But it does feel like people are way, focusing way more on these like consumer social payments stuff. That was like the number one thing that I, I observed. I, honestly, I am so traumatized by the term AAA. Like I've, <laughs> I've any anything that I. It, any game I've ever been pitched has always been described as triple A. I, I think <laughs> I think I will word. fundamentally I'll settle for a double A game. I, yeah, I'll settle for a single I, A I will, to be honest. I will, say, I will say the following. What a B game for once. I will say the following. I've talked to a lot of people who are LPs who this week and and who are in crypto. And the number one thing that I ever I, I ask them is I'm like, oh, like what do you think about like funds, gaming funds, like gaming specific funds? And they're just like yeah, you know, like you got to wait five to seven years for for seeing if if crypto will make a real AAA game. And I I just fundamentally don't think that such a thing exists for crypto. I think crypto is the world of five hundred shitty games. There's going to be tons of Angry Birds. One hundred percent. Yeah, that, that's the other thing that somehow I think people don't understand about the gaming industry is that it's not primarily about AAA games. AAA you, games are crazy like, mobile games in China. That like, yeah, absolutely. Like the most of the revenue games. in this industry yeah. does not come from AAA games. AAA games are just the most appealing to look at. But the games that actually make a lot of money and monetize extremely well are often very stupid and not visually impressive. I don't. I don't think it's fair to say the majority of the revenue. But you're right. A that lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. These are very very sizable portions. And it, by user base, absolutely. Well, like, I just that's what most people think of when they think they're of more. Games. It's much easier to do that on chain totally crypto than to try to do like the entire like that that's I, I, I should say rather the ROI yes. rather than yeah, yeah, yeah. the ROI yeah, because ROI, like it, that's true. like when you're building a AAA game you spend an enormous amount of money and you make an enormous amount of money and you have a small margin it's like it's like movies right it's like Hollywood yeah, you spend 200 million dollars to make a game that you bring in 1.5 billion and there's a lot of marketing costs and a lot of costs and I mean, that's a smashing success if you actually do yeah. that, right? But like yeah. for a lot of these games, well, they spend well, $2 billion and they make $2.1 billion. Well, I yeah. think the thing for AAA is like it, it makes a lot more sense in the like holding company style structure, like the Tencent owning a bunch of different studios right. and like de-risking it that way. Right. But the idea of a venture equity investment in a game just sounds just so dumb. This is a new thing. This is a very new thing. This really arose basically in the last like three years. I just, it doesn't make any sense to me. Like you're taking something that's already really high risk and making it a riskier investment via this equity investment versus like something where you risk share across it, it's, multiple. It's, it's not even that. It's also that you know if you are uh, Tencent or one of these game distributors, you have one. There are a lot of synergies across your portfolio. Uh, there are a lot of things that you can do in order to make sure that you're you're using your market information from other properties that you have to kill projects early to you know shift capital from here to there. A lot of the the gaming VCs don't have that which is why, generally speaking, a lot of the gaming VC investments that have been successful are not AAA. They're games that, uh, yes, you want to have a portfolio and you want diversification or whatever, but they're lower cost games that can also be, you know, be really high margin and high grossing. So it's just, it's just like, it, it's different. So like, I think with the advent of these really mega gaming funds, the only way they can make these economics work is these AAA bets, right? Where they bet huge amounts of money at, yeah. you know, pre-launch games with, with just, you know, uh, basically on designs and teams, which is traditionally not the way that gaming, yeah, was, yeah, gaming yeah. investing was ever done. Well, I, I think an interesting example of this, which I only heard this week, so forgive me for not knowing exactly the names of this, but the number one app store game in China right now is this game called Kiss or Slap. And it's like you have like a virtual character in this like metaverse thing, like but not really that high tech. And you have to pay, you go up to people and you have to pay to kiss or slap them. And then, you, you know, if, if someone does that to you, then you, you get the right to do it to them back for free. And it's like something extremely stupid. It's like, but it's apparently the number one thing. And like, it's making a ton of revenue by getting people to pay for the right to, for their, their virtual character to kiss or slap another virtual character. This sounds great. 
Yeah. And, it, but this thing is making like this tons of revenue. This needs crypto. Like this needs crypto. Five to 10. Exactly. This makes more sense for crypto. <laughs> this is like that. That's so easy to do on chain. That seems like like a perfect game. Like yeah. this is what I'm saying. I, I just did this AAA thesis was just like, I, I thought I was just, I don't understand and I'm an idiot in 2021. I was listening to everyone pitch you these fucking stupid AAA gaming funds. And I honestly, in hindsight, I'm like, Phew, thank God I never like fell for that. Well, so my, my thing about gaming, and I've been saying this for, for many years now, is that I do think crypto gaming will be big, but I think it will be difficult to invest into. Kiss and, the kiss and slaps. Because it'll be like the kiss and slaps of the world, right? It'll be like kind of gross. <laughs> it takes and, off before anyone even... Uh, not only that, but it's like the kind of stuff that I would be too embarrassed to invest into and explain to my LPs <laughs> yeah. what I just did, you know? And it's like, like I, I suspect that the first crypto game that becomes really big, like not Axie Infinity, but like even bigger than that, is going to be described as a social problem. It's going to be the kind of thing people write op-eds about and like they want like, what, how can I get parental controls to stop my kids from, like it's going to be one of those yeah. types of okay, things. Okay, so slap two, return of the... Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But, <laughs> return of the slap. Return of the slap. Slappers only. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the other thing that I think a lot about crypto games is that I think there's a big intersection between crypto gaming and gambling, which again is like yes. kind of dirty, kind of gross. But this kiss word. and slap thing is almost gambling. Like, <laughs> is it? It doesn't sound like well, gambling. Because I have to like pay to, for the right to slap. And I think there's some- ex That's there's a some, service. Yeah, it sounds a little bit like, uh, like slightly like sex work, actually, yeah, if I maybe, think about maybe, it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Slaps tradable, are they securities? Is that the, uh, is, there, is there a slap I only heard this secondhand and someone you showed me on their phone. I haven't played. Okay. All right, I'm going to download this later. We got Yeah, it might be yeah. Chinese only. That's, that's yeah, it might be Chinese only. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I saw it on someone's phone. It, it was actually at the Sonic conference. Someone was from China. It was like, here's this Wait, wait, wait. What? In what context were they explaining to you kiss and slap well, at Breakpoint? Because I was like, oh, because they were like, oh, we're working on Solano like games. I was like, oh, cool. What are the Were they games? building a kiss or slap club? Well, Basically, the hackathon project was something. Oh, can you introduce them to us? I, 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 yeah, 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 it was like something. That was I think like I, the, have, I have a new thesis yeah. on crypto gaming: is kiss or slap. This was this is what they were like saying they were going to do. I, I didn't stay the whole week, so I okay. didn't see the hack. Somebody who actually knows this game is going to explain to us how incredibly stupid. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I think I get it. You have avatars, and I assume they either look kissable or slappable. Yeah, and they live in this little world. And you can go up to someone and you can pay money to have your avatar kiss the other avatar yes. or to slap the other avatar. And there's probably like a news feed, like you got slapped, you know? I, I agree there's a sex work. This, this is why Robert's a one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> On the unhinged scale. Yeah. <laughs> it's just very earnestly. Yeah. I think you can go around and kiss or slap people. Right. Yeah. No, nothing weird. So, okay. Th this other part of my thought, I don't even know if it's a thesis, but a thought about crypto gaming. So I think many people know, I, back in a former life, I used to be a professional poker player. And one thing that's interesting to me about casinos is that if you go into a casino, like if you'd gone into a casino 50 years ago or even 70 years ago, and you go into a casino today, the games that you see available in casinos are basically the same. Right now, if you, go to, if you go to a slot machine, like, okay, there's video and there's sound and there's like all this new stuff, new IP, but like the actual mechanics of the games are the same. Yeah, blackjack hasn't changed. Exactly. Why has there been so little innovation in casino games when there's been so much innovation in every other form of gaming? Well, I, I can answer this with another simple analogy. Please. I like chess. Chess hasn't changed in a really long time. Just because you can make a new game doesn't mean it's going to be more fun. What about like bullet chess and like speed chess and all these things? I mean, these are pretty yeah, new. I, I agree. Same game, slightly different approach to playing the same game. Right, right. You could have speed blackjack. You only have three seconds. Sure, sure. I, well, I would latency what, is like kind of a bad mechanic for games. I feel like because like it's it, it it's not like people like the faster play sometimes. It's it's like it works until a point, but then if it's too fast, I feel like people just. I think with chess it does help because I mean, bullet chess is very popular now, right? Yeah, super popular. It, yeah. Well, it's because like if you sit down for an hour. You yeah, exactly. Play, it's like, like it's like the kind games. of thing you can play in the train, right? It's yeah. like that's a big well, part well, of why. Well, that's my mobile point. Is like crypto so is made for games you can play in the train. That should it should only be that like. Forget this, like, oh, yeah, 100%. 100%. Like, esports, dog shit. Or stuff. sit down for three hours and have this immersive life experience yeah. or whatever. I mean, like, yeah, there's a place I, I just for that. Don't think, I think the ayahuasca trip on chain shouldn't come from the game, it should come from other things. <laughs> well, so my, my high level theory is that a big part of the reason why there's so little innovation in casino games is because casinos are seen as gross. And the, the most brilliant, creative people don't want to work there. 
They don't want to create casino games. They want to create, they want to go work for Rockstar and for Blizzard and whatever, because they see that as being a more, a, a sort of more respectable place to create these really immersive, fascinating, I think that's the Western view. I'm not sure that's... You go to a casino in Macau, it's the same thing. No, no, no. I just mean like, I'm not... Do, would you say that like a Chinese graduate of like Tsinghua, let's say, like CS graduate, yeah. like deciding between one or the other, mm. would you say that their probability of choosing one or the other is the same as the Western one? I don't think so. I think they're more, oh, much more... What are you more, talking about? I think like it, in, in China, gaming is huge. But they'd be fine going to the casino gaming too, right? I, I don't think so. I think it's the same thing. I think it's probably even worse there where like your parents are gonna be like, oh my God, my, my child, instead of going to this great, uh, you know, top tech tier, uh, top tier tech company, instead they're going and working for some shady casino, right? Like you lose so much. Face. But you wouldn't really be working for the casino. You'd be working for the people who make the machines. Right. Which is like not, which is not that much better. That, that, in, in some way, I think what crypto enables is like uniting that very kind of open canvas of innovation from gaming with the degenerate, disgusting appeal to the basis human instincts that casinos do. Kissing and slapping. Kissing yeah. and slapping, exactly. Well, I think there's like a, there's an EV calculation here too, right? Like, you know, 20 years ago, you're very limited in terms of, you know, hey, if you want to go work for like MGM, what you can actually get out of this thing, right? Like it was already public. It's like limited to this very thing. Like there aren't, you know, gambling video games in 1990 or whatever. Now it's a very kind of different story. Like we actually have some kind of attempts at doing sort of digital casinos. So Maybe sort of the calculus is changing of, oh, there's actually a bigger TAM if I want to go invent a new casino game. But, you know, again, to your, to your point, like, there just wasn't enough of an of a amazing outcome for me if I'm brilliant and smart and motivated to, like, go work for sort of existing uh, gambling companies. Tom is Here's a roll bit maxi con confirmed. I, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> I'll take a demand side approach to this. I don't know how many people want to play a game that was just made up where they don't know the odds. They don't know how it works. You feel like you're going to get ripped off roulette and blackjack and craps and these things that have been around casinos since like the 50s i think haven't changed for a reason because like enough people know what they are and how they work that there's already this like social knowledge about these games slots have innovated like crazy right in terms of like what's happening on the slot machines and they've gotten more loud and more addicting and more fun and all of these things but this structure really hasn't changed at all mm -hmm. like I don't think there's a job description available at MGM, like invent brand new game that like doesn't exist yet. Yeah. yeah. I was actually having this I don't conversation think it's go very far. Uh, with a friend of mine over dinner who, uh, first of all, he stopped the dinners. He was talking about casinos and we were talking about roulette. And he's like, oh yeah, like, you know, in the UK we have one green and the US you have two greens. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then he was like roasting me for Zero. that. I'm like, I've, yeah, two I'm like, I've never played roulette in my life. Why the fuck would I play roulette? Like, that sounds like the most boring <laughs> use of my time ever. Just complete negative EV randomness. Like they're all sense. negative EV. Though. Yeah, yeah. But at least at except least, poker. Except yeah, poker. Yeah, true. But at least with, with also with like blackjack. There's some fun. There's some agency. I'm just like fucking literally just like flip a coin and like lose. Win. Like that sounds terrible. Um, but the second thing I brought up was uh, sort of the lottery and the mm -hmm. fact that you know it's one of the oldest forms of gambling. Every every country has one. They're almost all nationalized and they're massive. Like Spain has uh, El Gordo, which is like the national lottery. People form these pools. It's just like Everybody loves the lottery, and like every country has the lottery, but there's not really been it's just a form of taxation on the poor, though. Realistic, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> but I think the thing that I was also thinking about is like, I, I don't know that many like young people who are like buying Powerball tickets. Like, you know, my dad likes buying Powerball tickets, like and doing the whole thing. It's, it's mm. fun, but like, I don't, I don't get the sense. Young that, people buy NFTs. Yeah, yeah, that's there that's their lottery <laughs> ticket. Powerball, um, and so I mean, you do see like so much forms of NFT yeah. called Powerball. You didn't, that's not financial advice. Yeah, um, to be clear. You do see forms of gambling popping up elsewhere though, right? People love like loot boxes and like, okay. Yes, yes. yes so yes. You, have, you have stuff like that, but it just, it doesn't, it, it's, you know, isomorphic, but it just looks different. And that's why it's getting tamped down so aggressively yeah. because people know that this stuff is crack for human beings. Yeah. No matter where you are, no matter what age you are, like there are obviously a lot of randomization mechanics in games. And the reason why they're there is because they are fun and they appeal to the, whatever it is, the part of our brain that, that loves randomness and what is it, variable reward ratio interactions. It's, it's really, really powerful. And if you combine that with a rich game, like if, if, if I was playing Pokemon and instead of just like, oh, I'm making things, whatever, but there's also fucking loot boxes and I can potentially make money and I have to deposit more money in order to like go catch them. Like there, there's, su there's such a rich design space with games that have real attachments for people beyond just, I go to the casino and I flip the roulette wheel and maybe I win, maybe I lose. That design space is, is definitely very constrained. 
Uh, and it's constrained in large part by sort of the, the optics of it and explicitly by regulation. Uh, and that's where I think we will see something weird in the design space introduced by crypto that's not just let's disguise a game, or rather, let's disguise a Ponzi scheme as a game. We did that a bunch of times in 2021, and that works because people love Ponzi schemes. Ponzi schemes are very fun. They're the <laughs> oldest form of gambling. Okay, so they're very fun for people on what level of the unhinged score? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think actually, I, zero. I actually, no, zero. I actually would yeah, make I the meme of like the like Ponzi scheme is like the like, Four, five, you know, like no, I think like negative two to one. Yeah, exactly, like, exactly. Range. Ponzi schemes, like normal people do Ponzi schemes. That's why there's so restrictive regulation on them in places like China, where they're like, we have to stop these Ponzi schemes from existing because everybody yeah. would want to play. All it. of society gets caught up in it, right? Exactly, and and there's just a huge deadweight loss from having these things naturally arise in the world, right? I mean, there's also if you zoom out, like other Ponzi-like things that all of society gets caught up in, like tech bubbles and real estate bubbles. Totally. And you know, it's not isolated to one specific implementation. Yeah, everything everything's a Ponzi if you squint enough. And part of the reason for that is just like humans have no real good predictive power on like longer term growth rates, so they have to make up a narrative for one and then use short term investment to to pump it. There was there was this one bumper sticker often quote that was um, I think somebody somebody had this bumper sticker after the dot com crash, and the bumper sticker said. Please God, give me one more bubble. I'll know what to do this time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that, yeah, and that I think is the apotheosis of why Ponzi schemes are universal. But, but you could argue that nature itself is sort of a Ponzi scheme because, like, it's like what, what's the <laughs> what? what's the motive for reproducing so that you have like progeny? That nature you- is the Ponzi scheme. Tarun, twenty. Yeah, we finally have like capped off the chopping blocks, philosophical, you know, extremes. Uh, but it, right. it is right. Like, th- why does phylo- yeah. why do phylogeny reproduce? Why do so phylogeny? Tre- you have to stake, and why, you know, to keep your ownership. Why do yeah, phylogeny yeah. trees keep growing exponentially? It's versus, so true. Right? And like, they, so until true. they use all. But, the but where's the coll- where's the, the collapse is when all the resources are gone? Well, but that's like Malthusian, right? But we're not. Yeah. We've no, clearly the, exited the that. We have that Ponzi scheme. We've escaped the Ponzi scheme. Also, we stopped having so many kids. So, like, global population is going to contract as long as we solve the Ponzi scheme. We somehow made it. A never-ending. We, we we did the Bitcoin game. inflation right uh, deflation schedule. Exactly, exactly, exactly. No tail emission. No tail. Get out now, Galton Watson. That's right. That, that, that's, that's right. Finite. It was a beautiful way to end it. Um, that's it. Thanks, everybody. We'll be back next week. <laughs>